Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing on this time. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to open your word. I pray that you will bless this time and use it both in my life and in our lives. Pray that the Lord would be exalted and magnified and that your people would be challenged that we would become more effective as instruments in your hand to glorify the Savior to do your will. Bless this time, we pray, as we look at the letter, Paul's letter to Timothy. We pray in Jesus' I mean to Titus. We pray in Jesus' name and thanksgiving. Amen. All right, Titus chapter 2. We are in a new section now. I've called this things that are fitting for sound doctrine because that's the way that he introduces this text. Remember that um, Paul and Titus both have been ministering on the island of Crete. Paul has taken a trip up to Macedonia. We believe that's where he went and uh, left Titus there in the, on the island. And he is given instruction by Paul to work with some of the churches to establish leadership in the churches and in doing that to give direction to the churches and to confront uh, the rebellious. He, the, he uses phrases like rebellious men, people that must be silenced, those that are upsetting whole families. Uh, there are people in the church that are teaching false things or saying things that shouldn't be said and uh, they need to be silenced and uh, the disobedient and uh, so wherever you have the churches, you have uh, leadership that is to confront and kind of stabilize these things. And he's been talking about those kinds of people. And in our text, Paul turns his attention from these rebellious men, those that must be silenced, and he turns it to Titus. And he says, but as for you, and that's the way he begins the verse, in verse 1 of chapter 2. So let's read that. Uh, and we'll just read it right down to verse 10. That's our text. We won't get through the whole thing today. But he says, but as for you, talking to Titus, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, have nothing bad to say about us, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing a good faith, all good faith, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. So Paul is, has been talking about leadership, and uh, he's given the, the instruction that they're to exhort and uh, refute exhort with sound doctrine and refute those that contradict. Now he turns to Titus and he says, but as for you, and that's kind of how he starts it. And it's to me, it's interesting 
to follow the flow of thought as Paul is communicating, it's always interesting to see what he's thinking. And obviously this letter written to Titus is focusing on Titus and Paul is concerned about Titus and what he's doing. And so he's giving Titus some instruction here now as to what he is to be doing to the rest of the church. And he divides the church up. I think it's interesting. He divides the church up into groups, older men, older women, young women, young men and bond slaves and masters he divides it up into those categories and and he begins to address that and he gives he gives titus some instruction as to what he is to look at and to kind of focus on with those and these are some of the things that make for healthy doctrine in the church as you're working on these different groups and you encourage these things i don't have an answer if you're wondering why he divide, divides it up into these particular groups uh, sometimes we divide uh, fellowships up and we put the kids over here and the adults over here and stuff like that. And uh, I, I personally don't mind having young people, uh, kids in the service and stuff like that. I think it's nice to, for them to have to sit and listen sometimes. But at the same time, it's easier to teach the kids if they're in a class and you can teach them the things that are relevant to them at their age group. And so... Um, we're working with people, the people come in different categories, and these are the, this is the category that Paul has been encouraging Timothy to work with. Notice there in the text, he says, as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And that word that he uses um, for speak is the word leleo. It's the same word that is used to speak many times. For example, when he talks in the New Testament about speaking in tongues, he uses that same word. Uh, it's not so much a phrase to speak of preaching or dramatic, eloquent speech as it is just a word that deals with, with uh, communication, with making a vocal, communicating and talking and saying something. Matthew uh, uses that word in Matthew 9.33, and it's pretty, pretty common to find it used in the New Testament. It's not rare, but Matthew uses it. Uh, it says after, in verse 33, after the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke and the crowds were amazed at his saying, nothing like this has ever been done in Israel. In other words, the man who couldn't speak now was able to speak. And that's the word. doesn't mean that he was able to be dramatic. It just means that he was able to speak and he was able to communicate. Um, the word I mentioned in Acts 2, 4, uh, talks about um, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. It's not so much the content is that they were beginning to speak and communicate. And so here is Paul using this, this normal word that has to do with communication. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1, uses that word twice. God who at sundry time and diverse manner spoke unto the fathers through the prophets hath in the last of these days or these last days spoken unto us in his son. God has communicated. He's broken the silence. And he has communicated. And so this is the word that uh, Paul is using here when he talks to Titus about uh, in the very first verse. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. The word fitting in that text, uh, prepo, it has to do with things that are imminent, maybe distinguished, um, proper, suitable. Um, 
it's used of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 3.15. Jesus answered and said to him, permitted at this time and this way, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. It means it's proper. It's uh, within the realm of what is uh, to be expected. It's, it's uh, that which meets the occasion, if you will, that's proper. And uh, so, and that's the word that he's using here. He's talking about speaking the things um, the things that are proper, the things that are needed for the occasion, this common word of speaking these things that's fitting for and in harmony with and completes, if you will, the, the, the sound doctrine, the healthy doctrine. Speak these things, communicate these things. And that is in, it's, it's in the tense that means it's to be done continually. So that he's, he's saying that your communication, uh, you want to have your communication such that it is uh, in harmony with and fitting for healthy doctrine, healthy truth. Let that be not necessarily that you are preaching all the time, but that your, your communication and the manner of communication as well as the content of what you say is in harmony with what God says, with God's word, with healthy, sound doctrine. We use the word, and that's the idea of the word healthy there. We use that word sometimes, uh, sound doctrine, uh, we get the word hygiene from it. It's just a, it's a doctrine that is healthy. And it means not just a favorite doctrine that's pulled out of context, but it means doctrine that is in conformity with the rest of the scripture. Um, I, I remember when I was a young believer up in New York at Community Bible Church, you remember that, that we had a speaker that that had been walking with the Lord for many years, and he was standing in the back of the room back then. I was talking to him, and he was, we were talking back, well, he was asking some questions and stuff. And uh, he made the comment, I thought it was interesting, he said that when you first become a believer, reading the Bible can be sort of dry and hard at first, uh, if you just get it and just read it and read it and read it. But he says, the more you read it, the more it begins uh, to become enlightening and enjoying and he says i'm at the place now where it's dessert i sit down and read it and it's just fulfilling and i enjoy it a whole lot and uh but what i got out of that was that what he was saying is that the more you read it and understand it and grasp it the more it makes sense to you and the more you're able to put all fit the doctrines together rightly divide do you understand what i'm saying make it fit not make it fit that it fits together in harmony with what's being said over here and uh, that you can take the passages and you can interpret them in a way that is consistent with the rest of scripture and i think that's proper and i think that's kind of what he's saying here that uh, we are to do that and when he says fitting for sound doctrine he's talking about things that lead to sound living it's not just that it is sound doctrine but it's doctrine that that uh fits the life of the people that you're working with fits your life do you see what i'm saying it fits the circumstances that you're in that has that idea when it talks about sound or wholesome doctrine Col uh, colossians 4 colossians 4 or 5 says conduct yourselves with wisdom toward those outside making the most of the opportunity and let your speech always be with grace that is let your communication always be uh, he says later season with salt salt is that which purifies and kind of disinfects if you will and adds flavor 
it's used in the scripture to speak of the influence of scripture and believers. And let your, your speech be seasoned with grace. It comes from God. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a speech that reflects on the greatness of God and it carries his, his healing and his soothing and his correction at times ability because you know the scriptures and you're able like that small scabbard, that small sword, to be able to apply the scriptures sometimes. You understand what I'm saying? When you're sharing with people and uh, when you're just talking in a group, sometimes you can say something that will, will be used of the spirit of God to speak to somebody over here or something that's over there because God's word is powerful. And if you quote it, God has, the Lord has promised that his word will not return void, empty. That's exactly right. Uh, Colossians says that the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. So that when he says let it dwell within you richly, that's sort of a word you have to kind of read the context and read between the lines. But what I think he's saying there, and this is just my interpretation of that, when he says richly is that being rich means it's productive, it's valuable. That's what riches are, something that's valuable and it's productive. And, you, and it says, let the word of Christ, let it do its job in you and become rich and productive in your life and read it and obey it. Um, if you read the scriptures, and we were talking this morning about not just reading it, but applying it. So I've had the experience where I sat down and just read a verse. And all of a sudden, even finding myself, sometimes something will jump out at you and grab your attention to that verse and will use it. But it's much better to take the verse and read it like I'm doing here and dissecting it and seeing what the words mean and try to deliberately apply it to your life and to your occasion. And God will do that. He'll, he'll make it productive in your life. And so he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. That word admonishing is the word nutheteo, the word that we used to get the word nuthetic counsel from. It has to do with counseling. Let the word of Christ richly or productively or be valuable to you as it dwells within you and in all wisdom the word wisdom there is just a word of saying a way of saying being consistent with the rest of scripture and all wisdom teaching and counseling if you will one another uh, both in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to the lord what i'm trying to get you to do and see in these verses is that if we are applying the word it's going to come out in our mouth our teaching our instruction even our singing even our singing it's, it's just going to overflow uh, i have been in congregations at times where it's almost like some of the men and even some of the kids are embarrassed to sing in public you know what i'm saying in church but if you really are walking in, I think you're really walking in, in fellowship with the Lord and living for him, it kind of overflows in your life. It just really, it just comes out of your mouth because it's in your heart. And so Ephesians 5 says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine. Be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's the parallel passage of the passage of Colossians. And so what, what's in our heart comes out of our mouth and what he's saying here and what 
Paul is, is telling Titus is that as for you, you want to speak these things that are inconsistent, that are consistent with wholesome, healthy truth of God, doctrine, the word of God. Do that and, and hold that in as a consistent reality in your communication. That's very, very important. And so those are some of the things that he says. Let's start looking at the first group, older men. I'm moving so quickly. Maybe I shouldn't, but uh, he's just telling, telling Titus to, to be sound in what you're communicating, not just from the pulpit, but in your life, among the people, among your friends, even when you go out and play miniature golf or you're, you're on a trip or something, let your communication be consistent and healthy with the scriptures. You understand what I'm saying? It, it should impact your life. All right. First of all, older men, um, I got things about this. I know everybody likes to tease about getting old, but actually I'm not that old. I'm only 77, so still got, what, 35 or 40 years to go, right? Anyway, God knows, and every day is a day closer to the Savior, and we were just talking this morning about having the same address as Jesus does, we agree with him, that's, that's kind of worth going to, isn't it, so anyway, uh, he talks about the aged, the Bible gives, gives us, um, tells us that there is a, an honor or um, respect that we should give to the, the aged, and uh, that we should show respect to them. Um, Leviticus says you shall rise up before the gray-haired. That means stand up. Stand up before the gray-headed. I know I have my hair is not as gray as it used to be, but anyway, stand up before the gray-headed and honor the eight. We can use Larry as an example. This is the, and uh, stand, the, the uh, stand up or rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged, and you shall revere your God, for I am the Lord. In other words, just show respect for those and have respect for the aged. Job says, wisdom is with the aged because they have walked with the Lord a long time. That's not a quote. That's my adding that. He said, wisdom is with the aged. That means they've walked with the Lord a long time. And long life, and with long life is understanding. So that wisdom comes with the aged and long life comes, understanding comes with long life. And we understand that. And we recognize that. We, we uh if a person, a man goes, grows old and he's still acting like a little kid and irresponsible and wasting his life and his time, we, uh, we don't think very highly of that. That's, that's, that's not a compliment. That's, that's a sad thing. But if you go old, I can speak from experience. As I get older, I do look at life in a lot more of a, a passing and temporal sense because you're getting closer and closer and closer to the time when the Lord's going to say, okay, it's time to come home. And so it makes you, at least it does me, it makes me think more seriously about life. You see what I'm saying? Plus, the things that, the changes that he's brought, like taking my wife home, uh, gives me time now to, to spend doing things like the, my quiet time and stuff. I can devote more time to that. And I'm, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that when I was married, I, that Elaine was a hindrance to my quiet time. She was not in any way. But the, the fact that I'm there alone and I can wake up at three in the morning this morning I, was woke, I woke up a little bit before four and couldn't go to sleep. Well, that gives me a good opportunity to get up and read. You see what I'm saying? And so that that's a that's that's a blessing in that sense of uh, being able to as you're getting older, being able to to mature. And with the changes that the Lord brings in your life, some of those changes help us to grow and mature. So we we profit from that. And uh, so with with the aged. Um, Wisdom comes with the aged, and long life comes with understanding. 
uh, goes on to say in verse 13, this is Job 12, 13, with him, that is with the Lord, the wisdom or wisdom and might to him, that is to the Lord, belong counsel and understanding. He comes from the Lord. He goes to those who walk with him, especially as you, as you go through life. Um, there's a, there is a, and I, I did think of Warner and I did think of Paul Teasdale and there are others, men who have walked with the Lord for a long time. And uh, it is a real honor and a privilege to just be in their presence and listen to them, just to hear them talk. Uh, it's, it's, it's good. Uh, Proverbs 92 says, a righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. Um, when he says a righteous man will flourish like a palm tree, I kept thinking of Psalm 1, where it talks about walking with the counsel of the wicked and standing in the seat of sinners. And it goes on to say, that, but those who delight in the Lord, there will be like a tree planted by the springs of water where the leaf does not wither and, and there will be there will be fruit in season. In other words, this, this prosperity of the palm tree or the plant that grows is, is growing because it's walking with the Lord and it's feeding on his word and his truth. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. He will be planted of all the places to be planted. He will be planted in the house of the Lord and they will flourish in the courts of our God and they will yield fruit in old age. That's Proverbs uh, 92, 12 through 14. And uh, Proverbs 16 says the gray head is a crown of glory um, and it is found in the way of righteousness. So all of that is to say, as we are looking, first of all, at older men, older men should be those who are growing and have been walking with the Lord and should be displaying that kind of maturity. Uh, contrast that to Ecclesiastes quickly, and I'm sorry that no young people, but this is a good verse for young people to hear. But Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 3 says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no delight in them, before the sun and the moon, before the sun and the light of the moon and the stars are darkened, and so on and so forth. We get old, we can't appreciate those things. Notice what he says there, I have no delight in them. In the days of your youth, when you're young, you can invest and hear and appreciate and come to know the Lord and serve him. But if you wait and put that off, the delight and the hunger and the ability to serve the Lord and to love him becomes more difficult. Your heart gets hardened and it just with, with time, the more you put it up. That's why in CEF, we talk about the fact that most of the people that are saved are saved when they're young. And the older they get, it's rare to find somebody. It, it does happen. God's mercy and God's grace reaches people, even the older people. And we don't just stop witnessing to them. But the, the word is, uh, come to the Lord while you can. If you're standing by the freeway and you're hitchhiking a ride and if somebody stops to give you a ride, you don't want to say, well, come back later because you've, you've lost the opportunity. If the Lord is speaking to your heart, don't say come back later because he may not come back. You may live to be 100, but he never may never confront your heart. And so you need to come when you can. This is really important. Okay, so he says here, the older men are to be, and the first word that he uses is the word temperate there. The King James translates that sober. Weast says means to abstain from wine, either entirely or at least uh, in its moderate, in moderate use. MacArthur says it carries the idea of avoiding extravagance, and overindulgence. 
Peter connects the word with sober-mindedness. Uh, John MacArthur again uses this, says that this man uses his time, his money, and his energies more carefully and selectively as he matures. His priorities are in the right order, and he, sa he is satisfied with fewer th things. I thought, I kept thinking of um, Job when I was reading, reading this. And so let me just turn over there because I think it will be profitable just for a moment. I think Job is one of the, one of the greatest men in the Bible, my personal opinion. Uh, and maybe I'm judging that because Job maintains a strong commitment to the Lord when he was suffering. And I tend to, to weasel out and get tired and complain when I suffer. But anyway, here is Job. And it said, let me look at Job chapter one. It says there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. So here's a man that you couldn't really point a lot of fingers at his, his life. Was, you couldn't point a lot of, bring out a lot of accusations against him. He was blameless. He was an upright man. He did fear God and he turned away from evil. And, and I take that means a lot of the distractions of the world, the things that distract, that you can fill your life with. Um, he had seven sons and three daughters that were born to him. So he had a good sized family, which means there's a lot of, of involvement going to take care of them. He had possessions. And if you remember in that, those days, a man's wealth was primarily measured in his size of his estate and the animals and the animals that he kept. He had uh, 7,000 sheep. That's not a small herd. That's a pretty good sized flock, 7,000 sheep. He also had 3,000 camels. That again, that's a lot. Of, and you think about the sheep, you got to feed the sheep, you got to take care of them, you got to put, put them up, protect them from, the, from animals and livestock and other things. There's a lot of work that goes into taking care of sheep. Camels, the same thing. You have to work with camels and work with their hoofs and their, their teeth, keep them clean and stuff like that. There are uh, female, 500 female donkeys. And there were, he said, very many servants. That means there's more than just a handful. There was a, he had a big estate. And with that kind of estate, you have a lot of responsibilities to take care of it and to oversee it and to make sure that it's functioning. You, don't, you, you wouldn't have all of that if you were irresponsible with it. So he was responsible. He took care of it. It says that the man was the greatest of all the men of the East. And if we were, I'm not going to do it now, but you could turn over another passage that talks about him coming to the gate of the city. And even the young people who were talking and laughing and joking when they saw him coming would stop and they would stand up as he walked up and he could take his seat and they would sit back down. They had a lot of respect for this man. He was a godly man. And it says his sons, they used to go out and hold a feast in the house of of each one on his day. So they would go to the different homes. His day, I'm taking, means his birthday. That's what I'm, think, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. When the sons would want to have a birthday, they would go to their house and they would have a time of celebration. When I say they were, they were partying, they were laughing and joking and, and, and drinking, but it's not the same thing that we think of when we party. It was a celebration, being with the family and loving the family and celebrating them. That's, that's, that's uh, such a good thing. The family is so, so, so valuable. It's God's idea and it's a good one. And sometimes we, that what's one good thing about this virus maybe is may cause families to stay together a little bit more. But anyway, whatever, uh, they, they would go to this house on their day and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and a drink with them. And when the days of uh, feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings and ascending 
according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continue. So here's the point. Uh, all this is to say this. Job's main commitment, main priority was a concern for his kids. That in all of this, with all the responsibilities, the place that he continually focused on with his kids, praying for them, offering sacrifices for them, uh, being a priest before God and entering in on their behalf. And I'm convinced that God has placed within the hands of the men the responsibility to take care of the families. That's their first responsibility when somebody, a man goes off and does something else and, and everything and ignores that, even if it's just for a job or a career, I think his family's going to suffer for that. I think it's pretty severe. And uh, so uh, this is a point that tells me that this man, Job, had some priorities that were in the right order and that he was taking it seriously. And that's one of the reasons why he was such a powerful influence is because he had his priorities in order and he was taking those things correctly. I'm going to stop there with Job. That's, that's what I just wanted to read is this man is temperate and uh, his, he's got his, his act together and his, his priorities in order. The second thing he says for older people is not only to be sober, but to be dignified. It means to be honorable. It's the is the word that he uses. This is one who doesn't laugh casually at immorality or vulgarity or anything like that. Um, he's not sinful and ungodly and so doesn't take it lightly. And I kept thinking of, and I'm not going to go through it because I don't have the time, but Joseph in the Old Testament was a person like that. He was a godly man. Uh, he was a man that was abused in one sense by people that were even in his own family. And yet, he, in the near the, the end of, not the end of his life, but near the time when his brothers were revealed, uh, he, he pointed out to them that he knew that God was in this because God had given him a dream at the very beginning of that, that his brothers and his father would be bowing down to him. And now he's seeing this and now his brothers are bowing down to him. And he said, you know what? It's clear to me God's hand is in this. This is his hand. He sent you. I mean, yes, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He took your, your hatred and he turned it into blessing. Praise God. I'm not mad at you. I'm thankful to God because he was able to use this. Joseph was a good man. That's the second thing. They're temperate and honorable. Sensible is the third word that we talk about. This word so from means to be sober and temperate, discreet, self-discipline in one's freedom, self-restraint uh, from all the passions and the desires. I, I think of Colossians. I've quoted this passage over and over again because God keeps pushing me, my nose into this verse. It says, keep seeking those things above where Christ is seated at the right hand. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. I can tell you, it's so easy to love the things of the earth. It really is. And to be, at least it is for me, and is to be attracted by these things. And yet the scriptures tell us uh, not to love the world, nor the things that are in the world. Don't be obsessed with just pursuing the things of the world, but seek him because he's better. And he is. He's infinitely, infinitely, infinitely better. And I just have to tell you, I don't like to give personal testimonies all the time, but I'm very thankful that he bothers without showing me these verses, rather than just saying, okay, go live it up, spend your money and do what you want. I'm so thankful that he doesn't, he's my shepherd and he's your shepherd and he doesn't just let us wander off. You see what I'm saying? He doesn't do that. He cares for us and he does that. So sensible is the idea of self-discipline, um, sound in faith, sound has to do with uh, said healthy faith. Faith is the word business. It does carry 
the definite article, which means he's not just talking about the, the, the faith to believe, but the doctrines of the faith, the Christian faith, the truths of the Christian faith. Be sound in that. Uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, we looked at earlier. Be sound in the faith, the doctrines of the faith, and be productive in your life because it's important. And then the word love, the word love is the word agape, which talks about a volitional love, a love that is produced. I think it was Weiss who said produced in the heart of the yielded saint by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that love would cause us, for example, in Galatians 2, tells us to bear one of his burdens and fulfill the law, which is the law of Christ, to love one another uh, as we do ourselves, fulfill that law. Uh, is we have, if we have love for one another. Paul said, John says, tells us to love not the world. Uh, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. You've got to get out of the way of thinking that love is a feeling. Because we think of it as a feeling. But he's not saying, Beloved, let us feel love for one another because God feels love toward us. What he's saying is, let us love, let us pursue, let us protect, let us provide, let us promote one another for love. God's, God has loved us, protected us, pursued us, provided for us, and uh, that's from God. So that everyone who loves and provides and protects and promotes uh, others, his brothers, is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not do that, does not love, does not know God, for God is love. And he goes on talking about it. So we remember when he talks about this, this uh, love that we're to have, it is a love that is molded by the Spirit of God. To love and care for and provide for one another as older men particularly as older people we should do that and then the last word there and we'll stop is the word perseverance comes from the greek word upomone which means to stay under or remain under the trials and afflictions uh and to remain under those trials and afflictions in a way that honors god now i don't know about you yeah probably you do too we all have a tendency when things bad things happen have a tendency to complain about it a little bit. We may not get real raw in our complaint, but we'll complain about it. Yes, right, well, I got to go through this trial or whatever like that. But understand that there's nothing that comes in my life or your life that is not first filtered through his will. Everything, without one exception. There's no rogue molecules in the universe, says Paul. He's right. Everything comes through his permissive will. And so, um, it is, it is, I guess, hupomone is patience in the sense of meekness. I think Trench has uh, defined it as the temper of spirit in which we accept God's dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. Um, a lot of things happen. There are things that I want that God has not given me like I want. And, uh, but I know as I pray, I know his will is best. I know he does what's best. You understand? And I know that. And uh, I know that in eternity, I will be thankful that he did it his way. I know that. I think of Moses. I'm going to finish with this. I think of Moses. I don't know if there's an example anybody in scripture that to me personifies that more than somebody who's patient with God. He was a guy who was raised uh, with a silver spoon in his mouth in Egypt. He was a, a Jew, but he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in the royal court. He had the best education and uh, all of that, the education meant that it, it, we look at it and we summarize it together, but you just think his life was made up of days and each day had a day of going to study, taking classes, doing homework, 
uh, having duties that you have to do at home, learning these different things. Sometimes you have to be disciplined. You're, you're making bad decisions. Other times you have to go over and do this. Sometimes you'll be sick. But at 40 years, you go through that process of growing and growing and growing in the royal courts of Egypt. And you know that you are a descendant from your Elizabeth, your mom, and your father. Uh, and you know that you're a descendant uh, of the Jewish people, even though it's not public knowledge. I mean, it's not a big thing. And uh, you know that that you, you have this sense that God is going to use you to help separate your people. And one day you're out after 40 years of in this, having this uh, privileged treatment, and you see an Egyptian beating a, a Hebrew slave. And you get so mad, you go over and you look around, you know, nobody sees you, so you kill the Egyptian and hide his body. And you're glad to do that. And you come back the next day, and all of a sudden you see two of the Jewish brothers, sons of Israel, arguing with each other. Say, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing fighting with each other? And they say, what are you going to do, kill us like you did the Egyptian? And all of a sudden he realizes that his what he did is known and it's public knowledge, and he has to run, and he does. He runs for his life. And Pharaoh tries to kill him, but he gets away. And he goes out from being in this privileged environment to being out in the desert. The next scene is he's sitting down alone in the evening by the well in the desert, dry, all alone. And I can't think of anything more despairing, more disheartening, more depressing than that. To be in that situation, I have blown it. What I was going to do there is, is gone. I have no idea, Lord, what I'm going to do. How have I done this? And so he's despairing. Well, as it turns out, he meets Jethro, and he begins. He's gotten a little family, a wife, and they begin to do. He takes care of the sheep and does other stuff. And for forty more years, he does that in the desert. I mean, that's not. How many years does it take you to go to high school? You go to high school twelve years. You go to high school, another 12 years, that's 24, all right? 36, still, three, going back to school, first grade to 12th grade, three times is how long he spent out there in that desert. And then one day he's out there and he sees that bush burning and he goes over to it. And uh, the Lord says, take your shoes off your feet. This is what the ground where you're standing is holy ground. He stops. And at that point, the Lord says, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. And now you're ready to take care of my job. This is, this is patience, isn't it? It's perseverance, staying under the responsibility and, and not quitting when God has put you in a place like that and just bearing with it because he's in charge and he never makes a mistake and he's able to use these things in your life and in my life to glorify him. And that's what we want. That's what we want. So uh, here's what he just, he's just, Paul is telling Timothy, I mean Titus, to, to speak these things that are fitting with sound doctrine and talk about these older men there to be temperate and dignified, sensible, sound in faith, love, uh, in love and in perseverance. The lives that be showing these, these qualities, they should be that way, especially if we get older, we should be that way. Um, so I trust that we will be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words that come from the pen of the apostle, but they are energized by the spirit of God. And they've spoken to me as I've studied these things, and I trust that they've spoken to us, and that you will work in our hearts. Help us, help me to be willing to conform my life 
to your will and your purpose, your way for your glory. And know that one day you have promised, not that we are going to be at the central stage of glory, but that we will be recognized as an instrument that will set Jesus on the stage and glorify him and honor him. That's what we want. We're not worthy of, of a central place. He is. And he's given himself for us. And I pray that you'll help us to live for him uh, and serve him with all of our hearts. Thank you for this time. And we ask your blessing now upon this week. And we pray in Jesus' name. Thanksgiving.